You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Together in Literacy podcast. This is season two, episode 18. I can't believe it. We are in our final episode of the season and we are so grateful for each and every one of you tuning in and messaging us and sending emails and writing reviews. So we really appreciate those. We like to start the show giving a little bit of a shout out to people that leave reviews to us. So this one is from MP underscores loves to read. And it says, thank you, Casey and Emily. I have enjoyed and learned something new from every episode that they have created. I currently work with the Title I students in a small rural school. I've been continuing to educate myself on how best to teach the struggling readers that I work with in grades K through five. Not only has this podcast provided me with valuable literacy information, but also the inspiration to pursue further training as a dyslexia specialist. All right. I can't thank you enough and look forward to your future episodes. So thank you so much. MP underscores loves to read. That is exciting about your continuing your education and as a dyslexia specialist. So wonderful. We're cheering you on from here. Imagine if every teacher training program had a little subset of training to help all our future educators become at least at uh, at the practitioner level. Imagine the impact. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a dreamy, dreamy thing, but you know what? It can happen for sure. That is a lovely uh, review. Thank you so much. We are in episode 18, as Casey said, welcome to all of you. We cannot believe it, but this is the last episode of season two. Yes. Are we going away? No, (laughs) we're not (laughs) leaving you forever. Casey and I, as you may or may not know, are busy moms. Uh, We're both twin moms. If you didn't know that about us, she has three kids. I have, I have four kids. And you know what? We really, really value and love our time with our kids in the in the summer. And so we like to take a little break to be able to be there for our families and uh, take some uh, much needed vacation time. And then we uh, pick up again, uh, usually around, I would say sometime in September, October, you will see us again for season three, which will be super exciting. The wheels are already turning. Can I just say Casey and I really, really already thinking of some ideas. So 
definitely join us back then. And we really, truly hope that you have some time to spend with your friends and family this summer and recharge and refresh. So, so needed and, and valued. Okay. And, you know, as we kind of close out the year here, at least in the United States, um, mm-hmm. Emily and I were talking about how sometimes students can have different emotions with that. And we were sharing our own personal experiences with our own children at home. And, and we remembered, oh, we have an episode on that from season one. So if you are kind of wondering about, you know, what do we do with students when we see behaviors that may um, alter towards the end of the school year, uh, check out the one of the season one episodes that was towards the end. I can't remember. Yes, it was definitely towards the end. So it could have been either 1.17 or 18, something like that, but definitely check it out because yes, we address those concerns that you may have either as an educator or as a, uh, a parent or caregiver. All right. So what we would like to do, and we did this back in season one, well, we're going to break this down in a few ways. First, we just want to do a very brief recap of season two, uh, just to let you know all the amazing topics that uh, we featured this season. So, so exciting. Um, if I was with Casey in person, I'd want to just like, just reach out and give her a great big hug because she just is so amazing to work with. And it's been really a pleasure to record with her once again. So we're going to just do a quick recap. Then we are going to dig into uh, talking about a set of standards that you may or may not uh, know about, but that is going to guide us as we provide you with recommendations for further knowledge this summer, uh, Mm -hmm. if this is your summertime in the Northern Hemisphere. And then we'll give you some uh, articles and some suggestions as we wrap up this episode. So let's get started right away. As we know, in the Together in Literacy podcast, we have a commitment. Our commitment is to dyslexia awareness, spreading facts, building knowledge, structured literacy, science of learning, science of learning, not just (laughs) science of reading, social emotional learning, and the, of course, as we just said, big understanding of science of learning and reading. As we look back at season two, we believe that we have highlighted our mission to support teachers, parents, and learners uh, like you on their journey with dyslexia and literacy, plus the emotional impacts that it has on when we find learning how to read to be a challenge to be and people struggle with it. Just to remind you, learning how to read is hard work, right, Mm -hmm. Casey? It is. It's not easy. Okay. The first episode of season two was going deeper with the science of reading. So we kicked off that first episode with talking about the science of reading and some sharing some facts about that. And then we went into episode 2.2. This was a really interesting one, the contradictory signs of dyslexia. And that really was to highlight some of the things that you might be noticing despite the strengths that your child or student may have, but also to honor Dyslexia Awareness Month too. Yeah. And then we had a guest. We have had wonderful guests this year. And this one was wonderful. Cindy Hall and she spoke about students with dyslexia and their challenges with homework and some tips for helping them out. All right, Casey, how about 2.4? Yeah, I'm loving this. And, you know, at least for me, Emily, I don't know about you, if you go back and re-listen to podcasts, but I certainly do. And every time I take away a new little nugget that I missed the first time. So we do encourage you to, if you 
like to re-listen to, to podcasts to, to give these a go and, and take away something new. So in 2.4, we really talked about really 2.4 and 2.5. We highlighted working with older students. This was actually a request from several of our listeners. You know, a lot of times in our world of structured literacy or, or literacy instruction, we really talk a lot about young, early learners, but we have so many of our older students who also need support. And so those are some great episodes to dig into if you're working with older students. Mm-hmm. And then 2.6, we we kind of did a Q&A about the Orton-Gillingham principles. So talking a little bit about the principles and approach. And I think this is a great one to come back to because, you know, there's a lot of noise out there in social media. Um, and there's, I've seen a lot of misunderstandings being shared about what quote unquote, Orton Gillingham is and what those principles are. Um, So I really encourage people to do their research, to to really think more critically about some of the things that are being shared and to just kind of lean into the learning themselves. That 2.6 episode really highlighted the fact that we're talking about an approach and not a program. And so I think a lot of the misunderstanding out there currently is that they're treating, the conversation is treating it like it's a program. Mm -hmm. And so you just have these statements being made that really don't feature what is exactly happening within the approach and the principles that we follow. Yeah. So that's why it's just so important. Yeah, definitely go back and listen to 2.6. That was that was a good one. I've listened to that a few different times, mm-hmm. to be honest, when I've gone on my walks. All right. And then we went into 2.7 and we had another guest. We had Dr. Lauren McClenny Rosenstein. And this was a really, really nice episode for our families and mm-hmm. discussing the support that we can offer them uh, and to be better advocates and to offer her own perspective on how to uh, better assist families. Yeah, Dr. Lauren's great. She was 2.8. We Oh, this was really, mm-hmm. really good. Oh my gosh. Episode. <laughs> you know, Casey, I... I got a lot of feedback on this episode just in private messages and things Mm -hmm. like that people love 2.8 incorporating writing and structured literacy lessons because everybody structured literacy is not just about phonics (laughs) if i can make up a dance a t-shirt a poster a tattoo i would maybe even a billboard wouldn't Uh you casey I know. I I agree. <laughs> All right. Just putting that out there to the masses. And then 2.9, the power in saying dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And that is to help our students develop their self-advocacy skills uh, and helping to empower them and what that means in, uh, for saying dyslexia. Great yeah. episodes. Wow. I really love that we're highlighting, you know, you can really see the social emotional thread being woven in here and then the structured literacy piece and um, dyslexia and just, yeah, lots of, lots of great mm-hmm. topics. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2.10, we, we did attack um, the idea that the science of reading is more than a buzzword. So that is a great one to dig into if you're wanting to deepen your knowledge about the science of reading and, and really talk to, you'll see how Emily and I are leaning towards the terminology of the science of learning. Mm. 
in 2.11, we talked about how to keep your eye on the goal and intervention, right? And helping students learn proficiently what that actually means within our structured literacy lessons. And that was a meaty one, Casey. I re-listened that to that one as well. That had some really amazing and practical strategies in there. Just when I re-listened, I'm like, oh yeah. 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 Just a lot of good ones. I agree. And I I really liked 2.12, where we talked about the importance of handwriting and bringing handwriting into our literacy instruction. So that also was quite a meaty episode and it had some really applicable tips and strategies that you could take right into your work with students. Definitely. 2.13 is where we said, hey, at the heart of the science of reading, we are looking at how we learn, not just mm-hmm. how we read. So you know yeah. what? At, to be more inclusive, yeah. we believe we need to push for the science of learning. I highly recommend listening to that episode. And really, really good. I feel like we were a little ahead of the curve on that because after after we had recorded that and put that episode out, like then I started hearing other researchers talking about expanding the science of reading into the science of learning. <laughs> so like good we- for them, Casey, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> so, are, so are we pioneers? I think we are. Right. <laughs> All right. 2.14. You, we had a guest, another guest. We have mm-hmm. a lot of guests this season and we love it. Using evaluations to better understand our learners with Katie Vassar. I loved this episode because, and I had said, said this before, Katie provided a window into the evaluation experience and the things that really are important to look for. And not only to focus on the things that a child may demonstrate as a weakness, but to also focus on the strengths, which supports our real core mission here to really look at the whole child and their social emotional aspects as well. So loved that one. And then uh, 2.15 was really, I thought, a very thought-provoking episode. And that was looking at neurodiversity with a fresh perspective. And that really brought up, I think, several points that in the current climate that we're in in 2023 with the big discussions around neurodiversity, what it means to be neurodiverse and the inclusive statements that help us all better understand and acknowledge and honor people on this journey. I think that was just an excellent episode to encapsulate all of those just important points. Okay. Yeah. And then in 2.16, we really kind of bridged into how dyslexia can impact beyond the academic. So I know we've talked about how the impacts in the social emotional components, but here we talked about how dyslexia can bridge into math. And so we had a special guest, uh, Adrian Meldrum from Made for Math, and she really talked about taking a multi-sensory approach to teaching math. So that's a great episode to dig into. Mm-hmm. And then 2.17, we had a fascinating guest, a young man named Ryan Poole, who has a really great outlook and perspective on taking challenges and turning them into your strengths. And so definitely take a listen to Ryan as he talks about um, using challenges to cultivate success. And he also had a TEDx talk that was shared on, in that episode as well. So we 
had a lot of different topics in season two and in season one as well, but we would really love, tell us, tell us what you think, which ones were your favorite, you know, let us know your thoughts about the episodes that we have. And then we will have a form with a survey in the notes for you to give us some ideas on additional topics that you'd like for us to cover. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, let us know maybe what your favorite episode was or Mm -hmm. which one you hadn't listened to yet, but you really want to, or maybe which episode you'd be the most likely to share with somebody. Oh, that's a good one. I'd love that. that. Yeah. All right. Casey's going to kick off part one. Well, I guess we're sort of part one, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we've done our little review of season two, but we really wanted to anchor our knowledge today. So you may ask yourself, you know, are there standards for teachers wanting to ground their work in research and implement structured literacy, right? Or have you ever wondered if there's a document that those of us teaching structured literacy should follow that covers key foundational components that we all should know and follow? And the answer is yes. In 2018, the International Dyslexia Association put out what they call the Knowledge and Practice Standards for Teaching Reading. And this is a 41-page document that explicitly sets forth the knowledge and skills that all teachers of reading are expected to possess within a structured literacy classroom. And hint, it is so much more than phonics. Mm -hmm. and what may be, you know, touted as traditional phonics. So it is really rooted in the domains and the commitment to language. So we, we will refer to that as the KPS, the knowledge and practice standard. So if you hear us referring to that KPS, that's what we're speaking about. So you may not have heard that this document is out there, right? Yeah. Really we've all heard of the common core standards, mm-hmm. right? All heard of those. Well, think of this as the document that you need to be looking at and following as you are becoming trained, as you are becoming more proficient educator to mm-hmm. serve your students. Uh, this is sort of like your guiding foundational document that you can be using. We truly believe that the KPS should be cited when we are choosing professional development, when we are choosing particular trainings. We really believe that this should be backed up by that. When we uh, look at the documents, so you can go to the International Dyslexia Association website and you can download it. Just look up knowledge and practice standards and it will be there. Okay, really, really easy to find, but we'll also link it here in the show notes and on our blog post. We always have a blog post that goes with our episodes. So the uh, page four of the KPS uh, outlines what structured literacy is. And you know what? I'm just going to take this time to read that because I think that really grounds us in letting people know, well, what the heck is structured literacy? Yeah. So this approach is characterized by the provision of systematic, explicit instruction that integrates listening, speaking, reading, and writing, and emphasizes the structure of language across the speech sound system 
phonology, right? The writing system, mm -hmm. orthography, the structure of, of sentences, syntax, the meaningful parts of words, morphology, the relationships among words, semantics, and the organization of spoken and written discourse. Okay. Structured literacy. The following instructional principles are associated with the provision of structured literacy instruction. Number one, instructional tasks are modeled when appropriate. Two, explicit instruction is provided. Three, meaningful interactions with language occur during the lesson. Four, multiple opportunities are provided to practice instructional tasks. Five, corrective feedback is provided after initial student responses. Six, student effort is encouraged. Seven, lesson engagement during teacher-led instruction is monitored. Eight, lesson engagement during independent work is monitored. And nine, students successfully complete activities at a high criterion level of performance. As I read that list, yeah, what do you notice about it? Are there things on there that are synonymous with what Casey and I do, which is Horton Gillingham? Yes, because Horton Gillingham is, is uh, the approach is following a structured literacy approach. But I think that you'll, as I read through not just the definition, but also the list of the instructional principles, that it really highlights that, yeah, this is way, way, way more than phonics and PA. Yeah. Right, Casey? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about the definition of structured literacy within the KPS is that it comes back to language. And Emily and I have said this over and over again, right? We are rooted in language. It is not phonics. It is not solely phonics. It is rooted in language and rooted in meaning. Did you guys see how it had that syntax? It, had, it has morphology. It has all of these pieces that are so much more. And then when we're looking at what that means for implementation, we are talking about explicit systematic instruction that includes gradual release of responsibility. So all of these pieces come together in our structured literacy lessons. And so, you know, if we're looking at the KPS, we can think of that as our foundation. So regardless of what program you have been trained in or where you've been trained, like for example, Emily is trained through the academy. I am trained through ELTA. Different trainings, but we speak the same language and we have these same foundational pieces in our work. So for that reason, the International Dyslexia Association has its own certifying body to help anchor teachers learning in these standards that are universal in regard to the research and what we should be doing in our classrooms, regardless of what program we are teaching, right? We're rooted in these, or anchored in these foundational components. And so the other thing to note, right, we've talked about how research is constantly growing and changing. And, and that is also updated within IDA, right? And, but it's based on that research-based evidence. So 
we can really rely on the KPS to anchor our understanding. So if it's something that you haven't had an opportunity to look at or you weren't aware of, which a lot of people have are not aware that this is out there, this document, I I do recommend, Emily and I both recommend that, that you guys download it and that it, it was really, you use it to anchor your own learning, but also when you're looking at curriculum. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Right. And I love how the definition really just embedded the five mm-hmm. domains of language. And what yeah. were they again? Phonology, morphology, syntax, semantics. And we've also got pragmatics in there if we're talking yeah. about the five domains of language. Yeah. But of course. Mm-hmm. all of those five domains, you need to remember that they are all woven. They're all important to help people become proficient in reading and writing. Yes. We need all of them. Yep. Okay. So Horton Gillingham really as supportive of a structured literacy approach. Mm -hmm. Sure. There's phonology embedded in that because we know that our kids truly need that, but they need all five domains of language. And so once again, as Casey was saying, this guiding document, the KPS is going to really, I think, be such a helpful tool as you're looking with making decisions as someone who wants to be further trained Mm -hmm. or someone that is choosing a particular training or course to take and our workshop, conference, whatever. So we think that there's not a lot of discussion about this out there. Yeah. And I don't really know why, Casey. I don't, but I think think maybe just people just didn't know it was out there, Um, but it's such a valuable resource. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. we can highlight that and and get more people to, to look at it the better it's going to be better for our students. So you might be thinking, okay, uh, Casey and Emily, you're wrapping up season two. And why are you bringing up this great big document now? <laughs> Don't go away, Casey and Emily. No. <laughs> um, so why are we bringing this up as we close out? Why did we choose to bring it up as the last episode? Well, it's for several reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we know the current world we live in is a noisy place because we're constantly bombarded and inundated with information from multiple places all at once. We're scrolling past. We're seeing a lot of people in the online world that may be taking parts of what the research is saying and maybe having a different iteration of that. Maybe a very prominent researcher that has the strength to share their knowledge with others. And we appreciate that to help bridge the research to practice. But we need to really be, I think, so, so careful and grounded. And I'm so happy that the IDA and grateful for them put this out because it's almost like this unifying document to help bring us all together so that we know what works best for our kids in the current, with the current research. And so as we're rooting ourselves in the foundational knowledge, we can sort of pause and reflect and think about how is this helping us on our journey in the science of learning, right? We know from our episode on the Peter effect, and that was, if you weren't sure, season one, episode 12, Uh, the importance of building teacher knowledge. And sure, there's a lot of 
information out there on social media and in groups, uh, but we want you to be um, very reflective and careful with the decision-making and resources that you choose to use and the trainings that you choose to participate in. And are they guided by the KPS? As you start to prepare your summer plans, whether you're going into summer or not, (laughs) and you're thinking about maybe some books you want to read or courses or workshops you want to take, we have a list of things we encourage you to consider, okay? And these are things that Casey and I continue to ask ourselves as well. We have conversations a lot about them. You know, is this rooted in what we have researched? Okay, Casey's going to kick off the first one. Yeah. And I mean, these are things that we ask ourselves, um, Emily and I do, you know, even on our journey. And when I work with teachers, I always say, you know, we are all on a journey, but we may be at different points. And I think that that's something to be mindful of as well, as you're taking in information, where, where that person is, that's providing the information where they are on their journey into the science of reading and the science right. of learning is just as important as understanding where you are on your journey, right. And being, Mm -hmm. being reflective on that too. So, you know, some of the things that I think are important for us as we are navigating this is being a good consumer and just making sure that we are anchoring our own knowledge of the KPS, right. Of those foundational pieces so that we really can be more reflective ask questions because we know we're all here for the same reason. We all want what's best for the students sitting in front of us. And part of that is being lifelong learners ourselves. But within that, we want to make sure that we have a a nice solid foundation of understanding from which to grow. Absolutely. The next point, as you are considering this summer, uh, the resources and trainings is that you understand that structured literacy has a richness mm-hmm. and we highlighted that with going through the definition with going through the principles with talking about the domains of language um, we know that it is more than just phonics and phonemic awareness much much more and that you look for books and trainings that are going to be able to address all the domains we think yeah and those principles And you can sort of backtrack if you need to. But as you look at those, those principles are not just principles when you're teaching someone how to read. Those really highlight the science of learning to me. Yeah. When I look at corrective feedback, when I look at uh, multiple opportunities for practice, engagement, um, explicit instruction, that's science of learning Mm -hmm. right there. So we want to really choose resources and training that are connected to this document, the knowledge and practice standards. Yeah. And, and that really kind of brings us into the next thing, right? Is that making sure that our science of reading or science of learning journey is rooted in deep layers and not just sprinkles. So I like to think of our science of learning or science of reading, like a wedding cake, right? A nice, big three-tiered wedding cake that's thick and and strong and solid versus 
I live in Texas. We like our sheet cakes, right? They are delicious, <laughs> but we like them here too. <laughs> but when it comes to reading, I would prefer to have a wedding cake that is really rich and deep in knowledge versus a sheet cake that may know a little bit about a lot of stuff, right? So thinking about that in our journey and choosing what books we're going to read or what webinars or, or trainings yes. we may go to, right? We, we want to look and see, okay, where do I want to deepen my knowledge? Where do I want to have a really solid learning? And because we have these five domains, you may need to break those apart. There, those, those domains are hefty, right? Mm -hmm. You can break those apart even further. So looking at your own learning journey, determining where you want to deepen your knowledge, and then finding people that are rooted in the KPS to provide you with that. Because I know, as Emily said, right, we are in, it's really easy to get lost in the noise and scrolling on and looking at all the cute funs, what I call them sprinkles. And I like to have sprinkles on my cake too. But I want to make sure that what I'm, what I'm putting my sprinkles on is something solid, right? Like a, a nice solid layered cake, not just the sprinkles. So that is my advice. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely little known fact. My wedding cake was chocolate cake with chocolate frosting <laughs> and it was delicious. I went the other way. I went vanilla. See? <laughs> Yeah, it was beautiful. People are like, wow, total chocolate cake. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, so we have a few cautionary pieces of advice next on our list. The next one is to be, be aware. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not wary, be aware. <laughs> okay. Two different meanings of terminology used and how that relates to research classroom pedagogy uh just little known fact Casey just and I just looked up the pronunciation of that word because we've said the word like three different ways <laughs> and and Google told us told us that it's pedagogy just putting that out there okay learning differences and what that means for instruction so there may be approaches programs that may coin certain terminology or use certain terminology that may have been used one way and then sort of maybe even repurposed in another way. But I think what we have to do is go back, mm -hmm. look at what the research is saying. Okay. And we'll have articles at the end yeah. to let you know about that. Okay. And be really, really aware that we are, Casey and I specifically, are looking at from an intervention standpoint, how to help people with learning differences, namely dyslexia mm -hmm. and looking at what structured literacy tells us about how we can effectively uh, remediate. What we do know is that structured literacy can benefit pretty much everybody in your classroom here, yeah. right? It's not just for people with dyslexia. We've talked, I forget which episode we mentioned that, but that was one point we wanted to make. All right. Yeah. So just sort of be aware that, okay, well, if, if there, if you're seeing certain terminology that feels like, Hmm, I feel like I've heard that before. Check into the research, dig in and see how has this been used in the past? How is it being used now? And, and moving forward from there. Yeah. And I, I think as educators, we're, we are trying to make sense of the terminology, particularly to find a, a connection between the research terms and what is traditionally maybe used in classrooms. For example, sight words, right? In the research world, the sight word is any word that you can read as if by sight. 
in classrooms, you know, we are trying to make this shift to that, um, to the research terminology of a sight word, but often, you know, it has a different meaning in classrooms. So it can really muddy the water when, when we have people using different terminologies for different things that, that aren't necessarily connected to the research. So that's what we're trying to say is, you know, come back to the research. It's, it's already confusing enough for, for people. It is a lot. Please understand and give yourself grace as you are stepping into the, all of this research. Emily and I have been at this for a couple of decades. We, and, and I'm still, and we're still learning, right? Like there's still things that are new to me. And I'm like, Oh, let me find out more about that. I have lots of questions, right? So give yourself grace as you step into this, because it is a lot. It is decades and decades of research. Um, Casey and I, I think when we were like, we add up our years, it's like nearly 50. Oh yeah. I mean, the two of us together, the two of us together. You've been doing this a long time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we under, we are aware and Casey and I, we are always learning and in in making adjustments and changes as needed for what's best for our students. Yeah. And for, and I had said this earlier, if we're talking about our goal is better outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. We all want that. Yeah. So, okay. Absolutely. And and thinking about, you know, better outcomes, right? We all want better outcomes for our students, right? And of course, we live in, in today's day and age where things are fast. We want them fast. We want those outcomes to be fast. For me, working with students with dyslexia or learning differences, I will say, Emily, when I hear things about, you know, a student will be here by here, uh, that always causes me pause because so as someone who's been in this a while, I know that looking at students' learning profiles is so important. Mm-hmm. And Katie Vassar, one of our guests in a previous episode, she really dug into looking at the re- at what you know re- educational reports say and looking at the student learning profile and honoring their journey. I think that there are a lot of things that could potentially go very wrong when we are, are saying that, yes, by this time, at this time, you will be here because I don't know that that's honoring someone's journey, um, or really honoring what it is that they need as a learner. So for me, that's always a bit of a red flag. Right. So with a few more cautionary things and Casey uh, was mentioning that we say like by X number of lessons that your child's going to be on grade level. I I mean, I think that's rooted in a couple of things. First of all, I think that in the current climate that we're in, we all have an urgency for progress. And why? Because we have dismal reading data, right? Right. For the students in in the United States alone, so there's urgency in that way to make change to get Absolutely. kids back on track. There, there's that that urgency. I think that the pandemic also kind of pushed that urgency because people realized that you know some some kids may have fallen behind or and and we need to catch them up, mm-hmm. right? And so that created like almost double urgency, mm-hmm. and because of that urgency. I think that there has been some, I think a lot of discussion about 
okay, well, if we do this, then, or with, with the promise of um, teaching this many lessons, we'll be able to help the, these people get to grade level. I think we really need to be extremely cautious about that. Um, by saying that, that actually is not attentive to what you said earlier, Casey, about the student's learning profile, because it's, you're just kind of grouping everyone together. Um, sure, we want everyone to make progress, but when we have people at an intervention setting, things are going to look different. And for so many different reasons, because there may be other extenuating factors or comorbidities that we have to pay attention to. So yeah. we speak really from the intervention perspective. We recognize, though, that there is a greater urgency within the public school setting within all schools in 2003. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I, I worked in Title I schools mm -hmm. all of my time in, in public school settings. And mm -hmm. yes, the sense of urgency has always been there. Um, yeah. And it's real. And I, I want to be very clear that no matter what student we have in front of us, we have high expectations and we are always pushing the student to move as quickly as they can, but as slowly as they need to. And that is where I, I always pause because for some students and now looking at through the lens of dyslexia therapy and, and in an intervention, some of our students can't, their, their pace may look different than your general education classroom, right? Or, you know, what they're doing as the tier one instruction. So we have to honor that as well. And because my concern for many reasons, but I also am really looking at that social emotional impact. Okay. You know, by this many lessons, you're supposed to be here and you're not like, what does right. I, I just, um, I have some serious pause for that in terms of the social emotional impact, because the students that I work with, that is half of what I do is building up social, the, the, um, damage that has been done to their psyche and to, you know, their self-awareness as a learner because of consistent failure over time. So right. that's just yeah. my feelings on those. I think, yeah, it's something, and, and we, we get asked about, you know, mm -hmm. particular reading programs and thing like things like that, that have these promises that, you know, what do you think of that Casey or Emily? And, you know, we, we are always wary of those statements. Yeah. And, and I see the impact that it also has on the parents. So, you know, here we are trying to tell parents that, you know, students with dyslexia, it's not in it's not due to intellect. This is, you know, a different wiring system and our students are intelligent, right? It's dyslexia is not a thinking issue. And then when they're promised something and their student doesn't make it, it, it really does set us back in shifting that perception of neurodiversity, right? And, and identifying strengths instead it, it's highlighting, oh man, maybe my kid, you know, isn't going to get it or doesn't understand, or, you know what I mean? Like I just, sometimes that impact and that impact's really real. So I think we just have to be mindful. Yeah. And I think that that can negatively impact even relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, so once again, please uh, look back 
really dig into your student learning profiles. Casey and I, I think are going to continue to have conversations, conversations about that. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, re-listen to that episode that we had had the interview with Katie Vassar. And it really, I think, just highlights what, what it is that we're talking about here, for sure. And, and also, you know, look at, listen to um, our late, last episode with Ryan Poole and how he he really does talk about the struggles that he had and, and how it it was necessary to have like these steps of success to shift those struggles into opportunities for success. And, you know, all of that comes with providing the student time that's appropriate while holding high expectations and providing the appropriate interventions and support. So, yes, yes. Excellent. Um, okay. And then I've said, <laughs> we've, we've said this before, but the next one is to continue to lean into the research. Okay. From researchers in the field, we believe have long-standing experience in structured literacy. Yeah, Casey and I are always learning. We know that there is, there are studies and researchers and uh, books that we we believe are trusted sources that we go to when we want. Well, what does the research say? Yeah, and we want to continue to stay on that pathway mm -hmm. okay so yes. as you think about once again this summer just pick you know, a couple of different people that you know have researched marcia henry louisa motes look into Perfetti look at, and yeah and... linnea airy like mm -hmm. please look into to see what they have said in their research and we'll link some articles yeah. in the show notes, two in particular, I think would be really great reads for you to, to do as well as the KPS. So, right. Right. And with that, again, we'll call the charge to lean into the science of learning, which really does expand beyond just reading. And I think we're having more and more conversations as people are looking at, you know, like the knowledge gap and what Anita Archer saying about explicit instruction beyond reading and these researchers that are really looking at how cognitive load theory and things like that are impacting our learning. So thinking about, you know, the science of learning, what this means for our own instruction, how this fits into structured literacy lessons. Um, we had an episode um, in season two, episode 13, that dug into that. And then in episode one, we had several episodes about like explicit instruction and gradual release of responsibility and what I like to call kind of the craft of teaching. So, you know, those are all things that, that come into the play as we're talking about the science of learning. Right. Absolutely. We have a whole episode on the gradual release of responsibility. We fully support that model. And I, we, we mentioned a few books about cognitive load theory. So if that's a new term to you, uh, or if you're hearing discussion about it, and you want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding here going on with what exactly cognitive load theory is mm -hmm. and how that plays out in a classroom. And furthermore, how that plays out in the intervention setting. Yeah. Really, really important, I think, to dig into that, mm -hmm. uh, as well as um, digging into things like executive function and, and working memory. Those are all things that I, 
I would highly recommend looking into as part of your journey into the science of learning. And coexisting, what we call in the research world, they will call comorbidity, but coexisting learning differences, right? There's a large overlap of ADHD with dyslexia. And how does that impact the student that's sitting in front of you? Because it vary student to students. Oh boy, we have given a lot of suggestions (laughs) for you. And, and we hope it hasn't felt like, oh my gosh, this seems like a lot. Uh, even if you just committed to one thing, one thing that would be a step forward, right? Mm-hmm. So we have some articles and suggestions for the summer. So we are going to link the knowledge and practice standards because we do think that Sure, you may not be like reading it page to page, like, you know, cover to cover, but it's a reference tool for you to have. So you should see it as this document to refer back to Mm -hmm. um, when you are thinking about your structured literacy classrooms and your training. So uh, I, I printed it out. I think it's worth it to have handy and nearby for sure. So that's the first one. We have an article that we both think is really worth reading. It is called Mm. Print to Speech and Speech to Print, Mapping Early Literacy. And it really talks about the many discussions among academics about the the science of reading. And it is, (laughs) it's like the whole front page, y'all, is contributing critics and editors and supporting colleagues. And these are all names um, that are big, big names in, in the science of reading world. So um, that is certainly one to check out. It's under Heron et al. And we'll link that in the show notes. So that was the print to speech and speech to print article for mapping early literacy. Mm-hmm. We know that is um, a hot topic right now in, currently in 2023. And so we really believe that the the writers behind this article and contributing authors and supporting colleagues is extensive mm-hmm. and lengthy. Uh, Janine Heron is a neuropsychologist. She uh, is the direct director of Talking Fingers and author of Making Speech Visible. So you may have heard of that before. You can check that out. However, there are there's like I said, a quite a lengthy list of contributing researchers to the. Um, to this article and it's not very long but no. we think it's really really worthwhile just a couple of pages yeah okay very powerful mm-hmm. and we have another research study on the role of letter names and letter sounds and connecting print and speech you know there's a lot of discussion about letter names all of a sudden and so we believe that this research study is going to help you with your decision making and knowing about the roles of letter names and connecting them to sound mm-hmm. okay so that that will be in there as well uh, and then casey and then we um encourage you over the summer while we have this little break here to re-listen to some of the together in literacy episodes and let us know what your favorites are and, you know, what are, what are your takeaways? You know, what are some of the things that you, that really spoke to you on your journey and maybe some that you would like to share with others. 
And then in the um, notes section, we have a Google form that we would love for you to fill out for us. And this show, Emily and I make this show for you. We, this is something that is done from a place of our hearts and what our mission is. And that is the reason why we, why we do the show. And so we do this for you, our listeners. And so we would love for you to tell us what you think. Um, so if you can complete that Google form, that will help us as we move into season three. And if you would like to be a guest, there's also a form that you can complete. If you would love to jump on, I've already had a couple emails from people that have really interesting topics. They would love to join us. So please fill out that form. And then in season three, we're also looking for partners. If you have like a sponsor, if you have something that you feel would really align with our work, go ahead and fill out that form as well. So we can't wait to see you next season. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us this season, season two. Uh, We will be back. Right. So use the summer to once again, re-listen to those episodes. If you haven't had a chance to leave any feedback or reviews, we'd love to hear from you. And then finally, I just want to remind you all that you can go to togetherinliteracy.com and we always have blog posts to accompany each of the episodes uh, with lots of helpful tips in there and links Mm -hmm. uh, to everything we've been talking about in these episodes. So definitely make sure you check that out. It's like a fun continuation, right? And (laughs) We so appreciate it when you do share the podcast with others, if you think they would benefit from it. So we hope that this has been just an enlightening time for you to learn more or encouraging you to uh, dig in a little bit more deeply. And we look forward to starting season three with all of you. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.